If you look for it, every day has cause for celebration. Celebrate a friend for their promotion baby wedding life thing. Celebrate yourself for keeping the couch warm. It's no easy feat, especially if it's a big couch. Or maybe you just want to celebrate living in 2023 where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered from Drizzly in under 60 minutes without leaving said couch. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com and get your favorite drinks delivered today. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Welcome to the garage. Welcome to What Difference Does It Make? I love being here in person with you. How are you today? I am doing great. Yeah, it's good to see your face. It's always good to bring in a guest to the studio. And who, studio slash garage. We don't have a name for this. Usually it's kind of like a cute little nickname you give something, the Shangri-La. I don't know. We need suggestions. Okay, well, we'll think about that. Holly, please tell us, who do we have? We have... One of my absolute favorite guests today, David Wilde. Fourth time. Fifth time you get a, a jacket, right? The What Difference Does It Make fancy dinner jacket? Yes. I love having David Wilde on the show. He has worked with everybody, all our favorite artists. But also, he is such a nice guy. He doesn't have a mean thing to say about anybody. It's wonderful. We got David on the comfy couch. Going to be a long talk because, you know, we throw artists at him and he picks them up and gives us uh, some sort of personal touch to each story. It's truly amazing that, that we have this guy in our whatever we want to call this garage. As a friend of the show. Yes, we call him a friend of the show. And by the way, he's also hosting a podcast with his bestie Phil Rosenthal called Naked Lunch. Yeah, they kill it every week. It's really nice to hear. Now we have him flying solo. He's doing a solo project right now with us on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. I see green. Things are moving. Can I just hear myself? In all, no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I Can I get, I'm sorry. That's just I not possible. Do that with my, uh, yeah, my marriage too. Yeah, I'm just I'm hear me. Mute Everything's good. David, how are you? I'm just trying not to fall forward and nap. Okay. <laughs> You know what? The last time, actually the first and the middle, every time we talk with you, you're, you're always complaining about, I will fall asleep at any moment. Okay. You could cut him some slack. I'm he's not going to cut him. Busy, uh... <laughs> he showed up. He's got to be, he's got to. <laughs> From the White House to your house. Yeah. That's my new service. I forgot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. So why don't okay. you mention why, why were you at the White House or why were you even in DC? What's going on there? You know, LL Cool J is one of my favorite people I've ever worked with. He hosted the Grammys so beautifully and we got very close and uh, he was hosting the National Christmas Tree Lighting at the White House, sort of outside the White House. It's not <laughs> It's not in the White House. It's just like out on the, on the, uh, out the gate. And I was not, I, I consult on it, but I wasn't supposed to be, as far as I knew, go to it. Sunday he goes, well, when we're there, we'll discuss this. And I'm like, when we're there, but I'm not going to be there. And he goes, oh, yeah, you, you, you're going to be there. And I was like, I guess I'm going to be there. So, yeah, I didn't actually know I was going to D.C. I went on Monday for the event on Wednesday and rehearsals on Tuesday. I didn't know I was going until about an hour before I was at the airport. I didn't really know if I was going. But I went, and I'm so glad I did because LL, the cool thing is not just a, a you know a name. He really is the coolest person I've ever worked with like not not just cool in some sort of hipster way but literally cool in 
He treats people so well. He's so respectful of everyone. He's actually inspiring. In fact, I made it clear to him, I would vote for him for president anytime. <laughs> and if, if that happens, don't call it a comeback. <laughs> so how do you know him to begin with? <laughs> I knew him as a fan first. And then I met him when I moved out here in 91. I think I, we, there was some party for a record release and we met. But then we really got bonded because when he became the Grammy host, that was in my early years of Grammy. We had a whole opening monologue, getting to know each other. He was sick. He was, you know, starring on his series on CBS. He called me at like 4 p.m. and said, David, we rehearsed. I'm all good, right? I'm just going to go to bed and try to feel good. I said, Ella, we are locked and loaded. And then about an hour later, Whitney Houston died. And I had to call him and go... LL, she was his friend too, you know, she, he knew her well. I said, we are unlocked and we are unloaded and I'm going to send you a new monologue in an hour. And that was sort of the beginning of our friendship. But I can only tell you, of all the people I've worked with, he has been the best to me, just the greatest. And the goat, the goat they call him. They call me an actual goat, but they call him the <laughs> G-O-A-T in capitals. Uh, so, yeah, goat and goat, I think of us as. No, uh, well, he's hosted the, the Grammys now for how many years? Well, no, he hosted for, you know, a good number of years, but he hasn't hosted in, like, okay. got to be like six, seven years. Oh, is that? That's funny, because I just think, I, I don't think of who hosts anymore. I always think it's LL Cool J who hosts it. And, you know, it's like, who, I don't really pay attention, but apparently. I, I, I know you think that's charming, but it's very annoying to me. I, 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 I know. I, I spent my life, you know, uh, I can name you every Grammy host for the last 22 yeah. years, and I will. I'm going to do that by the end of the show. Who would, I, Holly, who was, the host, who, who was the host last year? The host of the I, I don't mean to put year. you on the spot, but here you are on the spot. Okay, this is a hard one because I'm pretty sure I was traveling last year during the Grammys. Oh, okay. Fine. And I didn't, yeah. And I so I only caught like snippets after, Here's so hint. I'm sorry. It was the same as the year before. Oh. Oh, Ellen was one, right? Did she ever? 1996, I Okay. Think. <laughs> you guys really <laughs> oh my have been God. studying up. All right, this is, uh, this is a terrible topic for uh, me. Okay. Uh, Trevor Noah. Oh, that's lot, oh yes. my God, of course, because we got the whole story about you wanting to have Trevor Noah. <gasps> oh, when I flew on the plane. Oh, yeah. Him. We should listen yeah, yeah. to our own podcast. Maybe yes. we would remember things. It was okay. uh, Corden before him. Okay. So you work on other other award shows, not just the yes. Grammys. So can we excuse ourselves by saying, no, but there, there's no excuse for that. There's by no saying excuse. That it's not like it's a minor one. It's, you're a music show. You're, I'm not humiliated. We're not. You're humiliated. That's, this whole court's that's out of true. order. <laughs> you know, you have to get out of this garage more often. Yeah, apparently. Have I, you vote, are you a voting member? I am not intentionally. I briefly was. And then at the executive producer at the time said, you know what? I think we should be our objective and keep our you know, not be a part of the process. So I may again, but I didn't, you know, and I qualify because of liner notes. Like if oh, you've written right. them on five records, you qualify, but I have not voted in probably more than a decade because I don't want to be that transparent. I don't, you know, if someone asked me if I voted for them, I don't want to, I don't want to lie. Yeah. It now that we know that you write for the Grammys, for the host. And now that we know two of them, what's the difference between writing for LL Cool J and writing for Trevor Noah? Writing for a person is like, how do you date a person? How do you become a friend a person? They're all, all hosts are different. And, you know, in the case of Trevor Noah, he has a show and he has some writers. So I, in that case, I'm working with him directly and with a few of his writers. But he is fantastic and great. And he obviously, having his comedic touch 
is a little different than some hosts who are not like LL is a funny guy, but he's not a comedian and doesn't ever want to come off like that. So that's a different process. I've had everything, not talking about any those two hosts, but I've had everything from months and months spent going over every line with a host. You know, for years, Brad Paisley and Carrie Underwood hosted the CMA Awards together and were amazing. And over time, we ended up spending months and months like doing a mind meld and writing together and all sorts of things. But there was one Grammy host many years ago who was out of the country, flew in, and I handed a script over an hour before when they arrived. And they went out and changed one phrase and did it. So there's a million different ways to... uh, host a show and i have to say all the grammy hosts you know i haven't had a host who wasn't good they're supposed to be good yeah (laughs) that's why they're there (laughs) i did the oscars with james franco so i know there's there's other it can go badly i did a very bad emmys once but our grammy hosts have really been pretty great i think you said trevor noah has a team of writers who have written with him forever and then you come in and because you know how the show is run with ll for instance there was no other writer with James Corden or with Trevor Noah, I'll often write a script. I'll write the first script and I will put in a few jokes and then I would share that with Trevor and he might pick a couple of his writers to add jokes and then we will be on Zooms or in person and pick the jokes. Uh, I will tell you last year was one of the most amazing moments A, we're in Vegas, where I never thought I'd do the Grammys in Vegas. B, I was dealing literally at the same moment, this is the morning before the show, with the president of Ukraine, who made a special appearance, and we were working on his comments, co-writing with Mm. Zelensky what he was going to say, and I am on a special government app where it's top secret, because apparently the Russians don't know how to get through that app, uh, you know, and I literally was on a Zoom on the, we were on a Zoom with Trevor, but I'm also at the same time going back and forth, like telling the president of Ukraine he has to cut 10 seconds or something. Yeah. And so it's it's a surreal world. But Trevor, you know, the comedians know what they like. And I'll write jokes. They'll beat the jokes. But there's also the other sort of what, who they have to introduce, what the segment coming up is about. So it's a very collaborative and really, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I really quite like it. With the presenters, how much of that are you writing? I know there's a writing staff also, but are you, how involved there are really you? There really isn't generally a writing staff. When Kenerlich was the executive producer, mm-hmm. he would write with me. But really, uh, on that show, it's been, it's a very sort of, I have to say it's been sort of great for me because our music is my passion. So it's like, I have actually had like 20 years of trying to give voice to what the Grammys are. So yeah, there is no other writer really on that. So you're writing, you're working with the presenters too, writing all, with all, they, all, yeah, all the presenters. Now, the interesting thing about that is there have been over 20 years, like presenters who will have a, you know, a strong opinion or want not like something or pitch something. So the good thing is you get to, it's sort of my weird little career is I don't know that I'm good at it but I, I sort of think my only skill is I know how to write for other people's voices mm-hmm. and they feel think something they'll feel comfortable with a lot of times historically award shows were written by like five or ten comedians in a room the problem with that can be that five or ten comedians in a room always go to the weirdest most fucked up <laughs> line they can get and yeah. then 
a publicist or the uh, or the presenter themselves reads it and goes, I'm not saying that. And the most common compliment I get is, this is great. This sounds like me. Yeah. Uh, or the better compliment is, this sounds like me, but better. So that's what I live for. For instance, this podcast episode I did with Phil and I did with Jeff Bridges. And the reason we did it was that about a month ago, Jeff Bridges was doing a little an event, or I was writing the event so i wrote something for him and then he goes can you help me with writing this for the governor's awards and i said sure and then i said you know i'm doing this big telethon for the motion picture and television fund to make it more surreal i was in new zealand and australia i was on four continents zooming with jeff bridges writing speeches for him and at one point we're in it's 5 a.m because of the time difference and i'm in Uh, We're in Sydney and my wife is in bed and she's very graciously said, don't go down to the lobby. You can do these Zooms here. So we had this weird, surreal schedule of being on this vacation that began every day at 5 a.m. with a Zoom to a different celebrity in the States. So but at one point, Jeff Bridges, who is my favorite actor since I was a kid, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know him well. I'm getting to know him well over these three weeks of Zooming around the world. And at one point he goes, David, you just get it. You, you write so well and you get my voice. And my wife is in bed and she goes, don't encourage him. <laughs> and I thought like, that's how, like Jeff Bridges is so comfortable. My wife felt good, like jumping into the conversation from bed. <laughs> and was this that- was a personal vacation. You, you actually, as far as I know, you went to Australia just for fun. It was and- the first trip my wife and I have made, a significant vacation. It's our first vacation without our kids since our honeymoon is that right wow. like we just always have been like a family vacationers and so yeah like three weeks ago she just said we're going to australia and i was like i tend to just want to go to hawaii and you know <laughs> collapse and then brad paisley who wrote our theme song and is a good friend was on tour but coincidentally at that same time in australia and new zealand and he called and said okay i know you don't listen to your travel agent you're gonna love sydney and you're going to love New Zealand. Go to Queenstown. You're going to love Queenstown. So that's what we did. And it ended up being awesome. this amazing vacation. But it was Zooming at 5 a.m. with Jimmy Iovine for something. Zooming with Jeff Bridges doing the Grammy mm-hmm. meeting Zooms. And I was Zooming in the best places, like looking at, <laughs> you know, Sydney Harbor or looking at the incredible lake in uh, in New Zealand. It was meant to be a pure vacation, but it w- it became more of a working vacation. But I like that because that's how you can afford a vacation. Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. And, and good to know that Brad Paisley is a good travel agent. If Fantastic we need... travel agent. Okay, good good to know. We'll have to uh, consult him for next time we go somewhere. I And a, and a good Dodgers fan. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, don't bring that up. That's a... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> well, he was... He was going to do the national anthem. I was all set, and I was trying to delay my trip long enough to go to the first game of the World Series. It turned out I had no problem. You had all the time in the world. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. That cold case you're listening to? Nasty stuff. But you know what else is a crime? Missing even a moment of whatever you're doing to go on a drink run. Luckily, there's Drizzly, the number one app for alcohol delivery. With Drizzly, you can compare prices on the biggest selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered in under 60 minutes. So download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today.
We're back on the What Differences It Make podcast and our guest, David Wilde, here to regale us with some of his stories. Let's talk about Paul Simon, you know? That's a good topic. Because you did this a long time ago. We're in December now. This Paul Simon show was recorded in the summer? April. April. Tell me about this Paul Simon show and what exactly we're going to be looking at. A Grammy salute to the songs of Paul Simon, I think is an official title. It was done like four or five days, I think, after this year's Grammys. So I went right from Vegas, (laughs) rushed home, and worked with Ken Ehrlich, who, you know, used to do the Grammys on this Paul Simon tribute. And frankly, it was a little scary because you realize you're listening to Paul Simon songs (laughs) and you go, wow, these are not easy musically for like, it's not everybody who can play a Paul Simon song. The lyrics are brilliant and often there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Musically, you know, it's a very high level of musicianship. In some cases, I was helping Ken by calling some artist and like pitching them songs. Brad Basie called me back and goes, wow, (laughs) there's a lot to do as a guitar player. That's one of his heroes is Paul Simon. But also Paul sets a high standard. It reminded me a little bit of doing the Beatles where you go, it's a little bit of a test to get up there in Mm -hmm. front of the, in that case it was Ringo and Paul were in the audience, but Paul was in the audience for this. And it's like, you better have your stuff together. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, I think the show came out beautifully. I loved it. And Paul loved it. And I don't know if I'm honest that he was 100%. He's not like a giddy. And I think he takes his work very seriously. And in the end, I think he loved it. And I think everyone's going to love it. It's a, you know, everything from like Garth Brooks to Stevie Wonder to Bonnie Raitt to Susanna Hoffs doing Hazy Shade. But it's great. The most amazing thing for me is Stevie... When he's doing a cover, especially, it's not like it's in his consciousness completely. So to be the person talk singing Bridge Over Troubled Water in a microphone, because it's not a prompter for him. It's a a special mic. And being the one reading the lyrics ahead of the greatest singer on earth singing Mm -hmm. them. That was wild. So wait a second. So he's playing and then like you're you're saying yes. you're literally before it actually as he's playing, you're whispering into his ears while he's still playing. He's 100%. able to able to hear that yes. and repeat it back while still playing the song and seamlessly. Right. It's the most <laughs> it's the scariest and most biggest honor I have. I have video on my phone of it because this year <laughs> I usually am be on the side of the stage in a sort of secluded area backstage. In this case, I was sort of backstage where all the other stars were, and I think it was Brad Paisley took video of it yeah. and sent it to me. He goes, because mm-hmm. no one, he goes, no one would believe that you're the one, <laughs> like a bridge over troubled water. <laughs> I will lay me down. But and <laughs> and Stevie Wonder is so brilliant at everything. He's the most beautiful, funny, great artist of all time i think even like on one show many years ago like 20 years ago i think it was when he was uh, paying tribute to ray charles when he died i was doing what i say for him <laughs> leading him through what i say i was talking in rehearsal and he mimicked me talking <laughs> and someone said i don't even have a distinctive voice but he's so good yeah he could do that it was it, it was nuts also paul simon he has a huge sense of humor he's, he's got one a of great the funniest right because i remember saturday night live and his Turned yes. in, in Annie Hall. And yeah. He had like a TV special 
yep. where he did skit. I've seen these things, and he's actually very, very and one funny. Trick Pony, the movie, right, uh, right. So yeah, very yeah. talented as well. No, he's amazingly talented. <laughs> right. He just is also a serious artist, right, and a major, major songwriter. And the show's great, and I hope everyone will tune in for it. Oh, I'm super excited. As you mentioned, it's very intimidating to do a song in front of Paul Simon. Did anyone feel like did they rearrange any songs, or was there they're pretty faithful to it? Most what? were pretty faithful. Some of the amazing ones, Dave Matthews, there's sort of a whole Graceland sort of segment. Sure. And Dave Matthews, which was just fantastic on it. Like, I don't know if there's something about his South African history that allowed him to just sort of linguistically just, he was fantastic. I think Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood, they may have even done, like they did it twice because I think they were a little, like it was, he got very emotional talking about doing it. Billy Porter got really emotional and he was great. Bonnie Raitt is on and she said, this is so hard. <laughs> this song is so difficult that I don't think I should play guitar. I'll fo- I want to focus on singing. Who can I get to play guitar? And so I, I called Brad Paisley, who's an amazing guitar player. He goes, hell yeah, I'll play guitar for Bonnie Raitt. What was that song? Uh, I don't want to reveal that. Oh, I want to keep some secrets. That's a, is it a slide guitar that's in there? I'm not saying, to, I'm I'm not to, saying so, how it is. So okay. is Brad your house band? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Good uh, question. <laughs> um, you know what? The house band was a sort of classic house band, but also Paul put in a few of his band members sort of to mm. supplement it. So it's really, th- it had to be world class to pull it off and it, they pulled it off beautifully. <laughs> All right. I have another stupid question. <laughs> oh no. Who is taller, you or Paul Simon? I am significantly taller. Okay, <laughs> there it is. Okay, good to know. <laughs> Very important question. I, I, in fact, with Paul and Ken Ehrlich, I would be called the tall guy. Oh, nice. Oh, you also, <laughs> also Prince. Okay. My wife towered over Prince. We we stood next to him <laughs> at a, an event, and I just going like, "Oh my God, <laughs> my wife is taller. My wife is not tall. Yeah, but yeah. she's taller than Prince. Prince was yeah Bono? five two. Bono. Bono, if Is I'm anybody taller, t- I, yeah. I, I think he might be slightly taller than me. I don't, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. welcome to our new game show. We're talking, <laughs> this is the worst. <laughs> yeah. The worst idea for a game well, no, show. Great. No, I'm not, I'm, I'm also not. Not, not, a, not a pun. Irish, taller than Jew. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think it's time to talk about Christine McVie and the amazing musical legacy she's left behind. Yeah, this has been, I was at the White House walking to the show and it was sunny uh the sun had come out and then i looked down at my phone and i started getting calls and heard that christine had died and i looked up no joke giant cloud came over the white house (laughs) over to us and it downpoured for like 20 minutes and it was like exactly what it all it felt like it's like i listen i i know stevie and Lindsay very well for many, many years. And I spent a lot of time the last decade or maybe it's longer writing liner notes for them when they, you know, I think I was the only one they could agree on for like they, oh, yeah. they that's not an easy group to get agreeance. Yeah. <laughs> that's a word that uh, I like Fred that Durst. Word. Fred Durst. I do remember that. that. Oh no. That was and people said, Did you write agreeance? And I'm like, No, I did not write agreeance. <laughs> so I use that word that's, ever since. That's funny because I do that that you remember at well. the Grammys. You don't yeah. remember who hosted last year, no, but I you remember don't. 12 years ago in New York when That's Fred I, Durst said <laughs> agreeance. I am. I, my apologies. I, yeah, I'm so sorry. Outrageous. I know. Uh, it's the last time he comes on this oh, podcast. But yeah, so I wrote liner notes for the reissue of Rumors, the Fleetwood Mac album, Mirage, all these records. 
And for them, I would often get on the phone with a few members, you know, and I will say, Christine, really, the both McVees almost never wanted to. They were like, no, you don't, I don't, you don't need me. You don't. And I'm like, and I think that's sort of that, that the soap opera of Fleetwood Mac was such that, you, you know, those voices of Stevie and Lindsay are so dramatic and there's such a backstory to all of it that people forget that Christine wrote more hits than anyone. Yeah. Right. And she was there for so much of the story. Literally, she, I think, on the last record with Peter Green, I think she played some keyboards because she was, mm. you know, John McVie probably had his eye on her at that point. Mm. And then, you know, think about how long uh, Bob Welch has been gone. You know, and you go back to those records and it really is Bob Welch songs and Christine songs. And they're great. Like, mm -hmm. she was great before when Stevie and when they were in middle school, probably she was great. And the single most gracious decision, and I got to, I'm glad I got to talk to her about this and tell her what I thought, but the most gracious act of behavior in any music group's history was when Lindsay said, yeah, I'll join if my girlfriend can be in the band. And that Christine went to, I think it was Lucy's El Adobe here in town for mm. like a new year's dinner. She was basically had to say thumbs up or thumbs down. Can this young girl join the band? And to think about what Stevie Nicks looked like, the obvious star power that she was giving off. And for Christine McVie to go, I like her. I like that girl. Absolutely. Let's have her in the band. This will, I, I think it went right all the way through. Uh, when, when Christine decided to retire from Fleetwood Mac, I was at Stevie's house one time doing filming something. I'm in the kitchen and we're talking and I'm looking. There's like a door behind the oven, I think it was. And I see a keyboard and I'm sort of going... I think that's a keyboard that, you know, Christine always sat on, literally the keyboard. I'm like, is that what I think it is? And she goes, yeah, I'm keeping her gear here just for hopes that she'll come back. <laughs> I want her to know it's always here. And I talked to Stevie a million times, Lindsay a million times, Christine a number of times. I never heard her say a bad word about anybody in that group. I never heard anyone in that group not say something loving about Christine. And she had her stage name was Christine Perfect <laughs> before it mm -hmm. was Christine McVie. Mm -hmm. There was some kind of perfection about her because when there was that Buckingham McVie record, I don't know if you remember, Lindsay yeah. made a record yeah. with Christine. Recent, that was her, her last. 2017. Her, yeah. Last I was asked to go into the rehearsals and spend, I spent a day or two interviewing them about that process. So I watched them put that tour together. And it was amazing. And Lindsay, who I know really well, and who I think is one of the greatest creative geniuses of our life, I watched the way genius is. Like, it, he was thinking a million things. And, like, everybody in sound and production was going nuts trying to, like, get what he was hearing in his head for this production and all those ideas. And Christine literally sat there having tea. The most sweet, elegant British lady. Just, like, this nice, nice, warm lady. And that the picture I tweeted when she died was, like, from that day when we're, you know, I was just sitting with her and then, and with Lindsay and her smile. It's like she just was so grounded. I know her, her life had drama. I mean, anybody who dated Dennis Wilson, you know, I know, you know, obviously she also was in a band with a guy she had been with. But, he, you know, she had been married to a guy in the band. But you'll notice there was no ever. You never heard much yeah. complaining about anything. I think she just had a. A very sort of, I don't know if it's stiff upper lip, but just sort of like a common touch and like a groundedness. And those songs, I was flying back last night from D.C. and I just listened to all Christine's stuff. And I realized I often listen to her stuff on a plane, like 
and if there's turbulence like she's the opposite of turbulence it's comforting she's, she's the most calming yeah. comforting voice and i think you know everyone's gonna miss her i don't know anyone who didn't love her who ever met her that's a good word to describe her elegant it's funny because uh, when i tweeted that graham parker who's a songwriter yeah. i don't know if you guys oh of like course yeah. graham responded and he said like he saw her early on and he goes she was just the most down-to-earth english girl so it's like she was very sort of down to earth and yet yeah that voice was elegant she stayed out of the muck and mire of that band like yeah it's like i i was happy to see Lindsay made a beautiful statement about her stevie has made beautiful statements but it's like i think listen I think if I died, there'd be a couple of people who would make a beautiful statement. I think everyone meant it in her case. And I was in the studio with them once when she was out of the band. There was something, you know, that Say You Will record is very good. Lots of good songs. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like with all this sort of tension making the diamonds in that group, you needed a buffer of something calm. And a lot of people, you know, I, I, people have said this, but I think it's 100% true. It's hard to be as big as popular as she is and still underrated. And I think she is underrated. Well, yeah, well, I, I can't think of another, I was racking my brain trying to think of someone else, some other musician who played a part like that, where even though she had the majority of the greatest hits, she was like a secondary performer in the band. I, I you know, mm-hmm. but there was no one who created so many hit songs, but still didn't get full credit. It's just, uh, I don't know. The closest thing I can come up with i've thought about it is in crosby stills nash and young there's sort of this time or period where graham nash was having a lot of the hits and he was never the one who was you know it's like crosby <laughs> soaks up a lot of oxygen yeah, well, yeah. stills <laughs> soaks up a lot of other stuff uh neil young steps into it and it's yeah. big footing <laughs> the whole yeah. enterprise but that's the only thing that even comes close and for the amount of years that christine did it like Christine was like the dominant writer for like before they came along. And who else sort of goes, oh, yeah, please come take my band and get all the attention. <laughs> yeah. And I'll just keep writing the songs that actually are popular. I will, again, like the the sisterhood of Christine and Stevie was remarkable. And, and Stevie always referred to Christine to me as our hit maker. Like she called, you know, she always said, like, and Lindsay told me, which is, true if you go back to it that like in the periods where stevie was like a little bit more estranged at least from Lindsay, and not like in particular i think it was on i think it was on maybe mirage or maybe tango but he would explain that christine could if you didn't have stevie in there she could sort of sing in a stevie-ish way and he's obviously such a great producer that like they had periods where they were trying to cover up from the relative lack of stevie in the studio she was amazing and I did get to tell her that. Uh, I, I'm so glad I got to tell her that as a fan forever. She was everything. <laughs> right, she actually has a hit right now. That's a crazy thing. Oh, right, yeah. Everywhere. Oh, yeah, that's right, because of the commercial. I, and actually, when, the, when they came back together for, for the dance, the, her new song, Temporary One, yeah. the, the chorus, I think, is just brilliant because she had... She wrote it and she had Lindsay and Stevie sing it together. Just that the river goes on and on and the sea that divides us is a temporary one and the bridge will bring us together. Brilliant. I mean, four lines that just sum up the band.
I tell you my story of that show? Oh, please do. You, of you course. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> the most emotional day of my life was the day of the dance. And I, I think it was only the one night. There might have been a second night. But the first night, and I think the only night that they did that at on the Warner Brothers lot was by convenience. That night was, by coincidence, the night that we went in for a doctor's appointment for my wife when she was having our first kid. Very late in the process. I think it was like seven or eight months in and we would gone to the doctor and he got some results, some blood result on from her. And he looked crestfallen and he said, you have to go to this specialist at Cedars right now because we're getting a weird result, which you do not want to hear. And it was not a weird result necessarily only about the kid. It was maybe my wife had something really bad, uh, some sort of cancer scare. It was just a lab result. And he sent us to this doctor. I have blocked the name of the doctor, but he must be like one of the great cancer <laughs> specialists at Cedar sinai We sat in a waiting room that was when you're waiting for the birth of your first kid, not a room you want to be in where a lot of people look like they are not long for the world because they're seeing this great cancer specialist. We waited for all afternoon. <laughs> and mm. finally, I think it was like 5 p.m., we're brought into this old <laughs> doctor and he pulls out the result. He didn't even test us. He just was giving us a consultation and he looked at it. He goes, oh yeah, this is nothing. <laughs> and was, wow. what? He wow. goes, oh my God. Hey, this is... um." And there's a word, a, a something. He goes, it's just a bit ago, translated loosely, it's just a fucked up result that's not anything. He goes, you're fine. <laughs> and this was like, then it was, so it was 5.30. And I go, do you want to go to Fleetwood Mac? <laughs> yeah. And my wife went, yeah. And we're in shock. I yeah. mean, literally like, it's like, because oh it's the four hours in the waiting room. Yeah. It's not the 10 minutes with the doctor. But all I know is we went to, I remember we went to Wonder Brothers a lot. You park somewhere and then you're taken on a, some sort of little tram to the theater. We sat down and all I remember is when the first note began, we both cried. Like, just like the release of the tension of the day. So much at a concert and uh, people around us said boy like those two love Fleetwood Mac and it was like no it's because we thought she was gonna die until like 40 minutes ago so I cannot watch the dance because oh, right? I love it I love the music and I listen to it but that just like brings it back to me it's like it's like and I'm a Fleetwood Mac fanatic so I was like that day was the most emotional mm. performance I've ever been a part of I've ever been at has a, a good association though you could think of it as a could good have, could association. Have gone the other way yeah, yeah. oh god it was oh. a good show i don't know if you know <laughs> it was I, 
It's really interesting because they're very, very interesting people. All of them, uh, you talk about knowing people in a band. It helps if they have personalities. That's like, oh, sure. it's like even like the monkeys weren't even a real band, but they were personalities. So we all, they became a real band to us. Fleo Mac, there were big personalities. And in a weird way, it's like, I think Christine, by being not a needy, <laughs> emotional, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think she needed to make music. And I think yeah. what's interesting is I think she had the perfect ability to balance Lindsay and Stevie. Like Lindsay always talks about so respecting Christine's musical ability. And in fact, a lot of the best stuff in Fleetwood Mac, I think comes from like their blending musically. Like uh, I think of like the chain and world turning. I could be wrong, but I sort of think of like, because she had this sort of, in a weird way, Lindsay had a sort of will himself to understand the bluesiness of mm-hmm. Max, sure. I think, and he would cover oh well and do things early on, but I think they sort of got into that. That's what the chain to me is. It's sort of like Lindsay and she reaching out and getting it right back to the root of Fleetwood Mac. All these Fleetwood Mac collections just sell and sell. Like and in England, there's someone called Don't Stop, which is just like the greatest hits of all the eras. But I wrote just a few short words for the introduce that. In a certain way, it's insane that you have one record, which is supposed to cover from Peter Green running a blues band Mm -hmm. to Tango in the Night. But I think Christine probably was a big part of that. Is your interviewing getting better with your naked lunch, or how are you enjoying it? I know I, I don't getting better. I don't it's know. Awesome. I know. Well, it's you know you're eating sandwiches, you're eating Ikes all the time. Apparently, that's that's your go to. Phil likes Ikes. Apparently, that's you. A- you I, I'll credit to you guys for our my husband and I our love of Ikes. You it was you and Ikes that got us started. We should. Friggin! I don't think they've yeah, advertised on our show. I can't uh, believe like we had Patton Oswald like doing an infomercial for Ike's. Yeah, uh, this <laughs> what's weird is when they air out of order. Sometimes you get. I think this guy Adam Conover is on, and I think the truth is it was one of those days where two people wanted to do that day. So there's talk of like, why are we eating Ike's at 11 a.m.? And it's because we were eating Ike's the same other half of the sandwich we were eating with Patton Oswald at oh is that right? at, oh at, my God. like at uh, 1230. <laughs> so that's why there's a whole lot of Ike's. It's actually sometimes <laughs> okay. the same friggin' day. We had another episode coming up. The restaurant is closing. And I'm like, we're going to have to go back and explain oh, why we're at a restaurant that's not uh, is out of business. Okay, so, you know, naked what, lunch? El- what else are you, pl- so you got this naked lunch thing, you know, you want to plug, <laughs> yeah, o- plug away <laughs> while we wrap this up? I don't have to. Unnecessary. You don't <laughs> You've been doing this now for uh, seven, eight months now. Are you yes. enjoying, is it? Uh, Lo- loving it. Uh, yeah. Phil and I, you can tell. You know, he had a book come out, Somebody Feed Phil, and he had his new season, and so, like, I hit the road with him a little bit, and you know, hosted an event or so. And so we actually had a few moments where we weren't doing the podcast. We were just, I was actually with him when he found out his book was a bestseller, which was just super cool because he had never had a bestselling book. That's the only thing I had on him. And now, <laughs> and now I'm fucked because yeah. he's got one of those too. But we had like a moment to like, what are you thinking about? Because I love it. He goes like, it's been great. And a few weeks ago, we reprised. We did a Thanksgiving episode where we told Thanksgiving stories, but we reprised our interviews with the Michelle Yao and uh, Key from uh, Everything Favorite. Everywhere All yeah. at Once. And I think we're going to do a show coming up, which will be like our favorite stories from the show so far. And it's great because we started out, you have your, you invite your friends and, and sometimes it's my friend, sometimes it's his, his friend, more often his friend. 
and sometimes they're mutual friends. But the coolest thing is when you make like a new friend and like those guests were new. There's a guy who's on this last week for us, Adam Conover, neither of us had ever met. Lindsey Vaughn, he knew because she's friends with his daughter. I never met Lindsey <laughs> Vaughn, and, but it's great. And like Jeff Bridges, it was great because it just came at the end of like three weeks where I was getting to know him. It's like I asked him questions like if I was going out to dinner with him. I mean, mm -hmm. that's really right, what right. Phil always wanted this to be is like he didn't want it to be a talk show. He wanted it to be like we have lunch with our friends and we love it. So let's just sort of share that. So, I, yeah, I've loved doing it. Yeah. Who knew Mickey Dolan's? Me. And interestingly, Phil, you know, Mickey directed TV for years in England. I think from what I gathered, he came in to try to direct on Everybody Loves Raymond. And uh, I think there was no opening at that point, but they did meet back then. And Phil made a confession on our podcast, which Mickey thinks he made back then, which is he was the like Mickey was the first like hero after Julie Andrews that Phil ever had as a little boy growing up. And he lied to girls and said he was Mickey Dolenz's cousin. Like that was <laughs> Phil's first middle school, elementary school girlfriends were under the impression that he was Mickey Dolenz's cousin. So they had met, I got to know Mickey a little bit over the years and then I worked with Neil Diamond doing this performance. They did I'm a Believer. They had never met and I helped put them together oh. for a Grammy legend salute show. And when Neil got inducted, because what happened was Neil was being inducted or getting his Grammy as a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award. And that was when Neil was sort of stepped back from performing and said maybe he couldn't. So I had to book someone to perform a Neil Diamond mm -hmm. song. I booked Mickey and then wow. Katie Diamond, Neil's wife, called me and said, Neil's in and he wants to perform. I said, great, he can do any song except I'm a believer. <laughs> and she goes, why not that? He goes, we'll have Mickey Dolan's doing that. And she said, hold on, Neil. And then she talked to Neil and Neil goes, I want to sing it with Mickey. Oh. And I was like, are you kidding? This yeah. is like a childhood dream come true. <laughs> and that that it came true. It was just amazing. So that's how I really got to know him was working on that. So All right. Oh, I last should, thing I wanted yes. to show you. Um, there's a there's an auction that's going on. Julian's auction. Actually, the McVees. This is Christine McVee's piano cover. Do you know what it says? Do you know what her? I have no idea. All right. Here is this is Christine McVee's cover. Concert. Christine fucking McVie. Right. How cool. Right. Uh, I did two books. The two Ringo books I did were with Julian's Auction. They were the oh, publisher yeah. of those mm. two books. So I'm going to invoice them and say, I need Christine fucking McVie's the piano cover. This is fantastic. All right. I think they're charging, what are they saying, seven to 8,000? Well, it's for the piano too. <laughs> no, it can't be. But I don't know. Well, that's, yeah. Is that the start, the opening? It's what it's starting at. This auction's been open for a while and i think it's oh. I, it's just it just I, I happened think the price just went up i think yeah. the price has gone up but uh yeah but yeah when i saw that like oh, you know what that's how much she was respected because you know she she did look it's christine fucking movie she's just the best and by the way you, pro you promised up. us brad paisley uh earlier this year but uh that's okay we won't hold it against you he's busy playing uh, uh yeah, like filling guitar or, for or being a travel agent to the stars or whatever <laughs> he's a what do you say he's like a utilitarian type of guy he can do it all he, get, yeah. he does it uh, uh i'll try to get him to come to the garage that's fine next yeah he can uh, or drive you to or, my next event or cheryl crow we'll take her too <laughs> who <sighs> was going to be the replacement for christy mcvee and that became just one more point of contention you know that was oh, really interesting. yes i i was sort of around that it was sort of not a replacement but when christine sure. decided to leave there was i think some advanced talk of 
her touring with them, because she's a really good keyboard yeah. player and a really mm -hmm. wonderful singer, would have been interesting and nice. Yeah. And it would have at least been some buffer. I, but I believe, Holly, Holly was in. The, she's I, in. I would be all in on that. <laughs> I believe my sense was that because Stevie liked that, I think also Stevie probably liked having another woman who she could get along with yeah. to sort of buffer some of the maleness yeah. of the band. And I think Lindsay did not like that idea at all. I think he thought that was a very bad idea. And so I think mm. it, that's never happened. And, you know, it's interesting like that. I've the whole history of Fleetwood Mac. It's like I have to think, you know, one of the real weird tensions was that Lindsay kept wanting to make new music, which is yeah. I listen as someone who buys. I think we're all people who like new music from the mm. people we love. Stevie, at a certain point, did not see the point in recording with Fleetwood Mac or did not seem to find interest in doing that. And that, I think, made a lot for a lot of the tension and craziness that sort of broke everything apart. They did make yeah. a couple tracks sort of without Stevie. And then Christine and Lindsay made that album. And I don't think yeah. if you're Stevie, that was a thing you liked seeing. Yeah. Not that money rules everything, but there's money in touring. There's not much money in making new music. Recording. There's Yeah, there's a difference to what it takes to get on a stage and play with people and to get in the studio and create with them. And I think part of the tough dynamic was Stevie created these raw poetry, musical poems. And Lindsay spent a lot of his time making them into the great recordings. And I think they needed each other and it was an incredibly productive relationship. But I think at a certain point, they didn't like needing each other. I, I think there was just too much tension on all of it. I think that's you know, it's unfortunate because like I listened to Mirage on the way back from DC and like I, I was listening mainly for Christine songs like Hold Me is one of the greatest mm -hmm. things I think ever. But then maybe my favorite Fleetwood Mac track is Gypsy and the production. Mm -hmm. It's like it's the pure poetry of Stevie. But then Lindsay just adds this sort of like artistry and this sort of sonic ambition. Thank you very much. Thank no, you thank for that. You. Yes, thank yeah. you for coming back. I don't know how you're going to edit this. This is like what uh, Valerie Bertinelli yeah. was a guest for us recently, and that was the last line. She goes, I don't know how the fuck you're going to edit this, but you better edit this. <laughs> okay, how you doing, Holly? Oh, I'm doing great, but I could have used a lot more time with David. How you doing? I'm good. I feel like David didn't want to leave, which is nice, <laughs> but he had to. He's a busy guy. I don't know if you got that from the podcast, but uh, apparently he... He goes places and does things and creates, and it's pretty spectacular. I was very grateful that uh, he was so willing after getting off a plane last night to come over here today and talk with us. Delightful. Thank you to David once again for coming in and sharing stories. We have stories as well that we share. Where do they find these stories, Holly? You can find our stories. You can find outtakes from this interview with David, and I highly recommend you do because we talked for a long time. You can find us on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast and on other social media at WDDIM Podcast. And uh, we have new podcasts every Friday, so please subscribe. Give us a review. Tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, what we want to hear. We'd love to hear your comments. So thank you again, Holly. Thanks for coming to the studio. Thank you for being my partner and friend. All right. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> so many thank yous. So let's wrap it up. Until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.